Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for moving in our lives. Thank you for holding our hand in the good and the bad and the easy and the hard of life. Hear our prayer and move, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Take your Bible, turn to Psalm 27. While you're turning there, let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever been scared? Yeah? Sometimes it's little things. You don't see it coming. Somebody's right behind you. They sneak up behind you and they say, boo. Ever happen to you? Or, or maybe you're sitting down and somebody's got a balloon behind you. And you don't know it's coming. And they pop that balloon. Pop! Scares you, doesn't it? Or maybe you're outside and the thunder claps and you weren't ready for it. Or maybe you're driving like I do sometimes and you didn't look as closely as you should have looked. And you start to get over into the right lane and there's a car in your blind spot and they go, ah, scares you, right? Sometimes we scare people on purpose. I remember about 30 years ago, had my first house built, only new house I guess I've ever had. And I was single. And it didn't have a lot of decorations. We had two secretaries at our church, and they were both pranksters. Their names were Pam and Pam. And they loved to pray, play pranks on the staff. Well, one day they asked me, said, hey, we'd love to come out and decorate your house sometime, Kevin. I said, no, thank you. I think I'm good. Well, they were a little more persistent than that. They went to my parents who also had a key to my house, lived in the same town. They said, we want to help Kevin decorate his house a little bit. Would you mind if we got in there uh, for a couple hours while he's out of town? I said, sure. So they get in my house while I'm out of town. I didn't know it was coming. And uh, I got home, and yes, they had uh, decorated my house. First thing I noticed is they pulled the light bulbs out of sockets. The second thing I noticed is they had these great big ugly curtains they put over the windows. Next thing I noticed when I went into the bathroom was they had stuck my golf clubs in the shower along with a couple of women's dresses. They put cereal boxes, empty cereal boxes in my cabinet. They did all kinds of stuff. Now I'm not one to get mad and I don't even normally get even. But I thought of an idea. I was going to get at least one of those Pams back, in good humor, of course. So I talked to Pam Rainey's husband, who is the minister of music at our church. I said, I want to get Pam back. I said, can I borrow the keys to your van at choir practice tonight? Because I want to sneak in the back of her van and scare her. They had driven separate vehicles to church, and he said, okay. And so... I snuck in the back of her van, and after choir practice was over, she crawls into the driver's seat to, to take off and drive, not knowing that I'm in the very back. Like I said, it's pitch black outside. You can't see a thing. She drives about a quarter mile away from the church, pulls into a post office parking lot. Nobody's around. 
and I sneak up behind her, right behind her ear, and I say, Pam Reedy, and she's scared to death. It's awesome. <laughs> Pam has the greatest sense of humor, and she thought it was funny about three months later, okay? <laughs> you ever been scared? Sometimes situations are, are really scary. You're waiting for a doctor's report from the hospital and you think you may have cancer. Or your husband's had a massive heart attack and you're out there in the waiting room to see what's going to happen. Or maybe your kids have been in a car accident and you're not even sure if they're going to make it. You ever been scared? It happens in our world. Did you know that about 25 million people in America suffer from PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder? And many of those people are military, and some of you may be there as well. I want to say thank you again to our military. Now, let's give them another hand. All right, thank you so much. For those who currently serve and to our veterans and Especially remember those who laid down their lives for us. Not everybody who has PTSD is in the military. There's a lot of people who suffer from that. 25 million people. Did you know that is approximately the size of the state of Texas in population? And yet many people suffer through that. But truth be told, all of us can find ourselves in some scary situations. Here's the question. What do you do when you're scared? More importantly, where do you go? Psalm 27 was written by someone who knew some scary situations. As a teenage boy, he faced down a lion. He faced down a bear. He faced down this huge giant, a warrior by the name of Goliath. And not long after that, had happened. He was chased down by the king of Israel himself, King Saul, along with a large part, significant section of his army. And David is the one who's writing this psalm. Psalm 27. He begins like this in verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. In 2 Samuel 21, 17, David's men called him the light of Israel. To many people in Israel, David was their light. But David recognized that his light was a borrowed light. It did not come from him. It came from God. Apart from God, he was nothing. Jesus Christ himself has called you, he's called me, to be the light of the world. But our light is a borrowed light as well. We're not the source of that light. We're but the moon reflecting the sun. Excuse me, water bottle. Here in Psalm 27, 1, David declares, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? In John 15, 5, Jesus says, 
I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do how much? Nothing. You can do absolutely nothing of eternal value apart from the power of God. In Psalm 127.1, Solomon, the son of David, wrote this. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Zechariah 4.6 says, it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Everything that we do, this to be of eternal value. It must be done in the power of God and dependence upon God and bringing honor and glory to God. Amen? Verse 1 continues. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? We may face some imposing enemies, but we need not fear them. In Isaiah 41.10, God says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. In Matthew 10.28, Jesus says, Do not fear those who are able to kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. But rather fear him. Who's able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Do not fear other people. Do not fear the circumstances of your life. Fear God and God alone. That does not mean following God will be easy. Jesus said in this world, you will have tribulation. Mark it down. You're going to have problems. You're going to have issues. You have struggles. You have times in life when it just doesn't seem to be working out the way that it ought to be working out. They're all part of life. Following God and being a Christian does not give you an exemption card from trouble. But it does give you an all-seeing, all-knowing, ever-present, all-powerful God to walk with you through the trouble. Amen? Psalm 46 1 says, God is our refuge and strength. He is a very present help in time of trouble. He is there with you in the middle of it. God has not promised you that life will be easy, but He does promise to be with you. In the 19th century, the greatest tightrope walker in the world was a man by the name of Charles Blondin. Ever heard of him? Back in the 1800s, he had asked for permission to walk across Niagara Falls on a tiny two-inch-in-diameter rope. Most people thought he could not do it. 25,000 people gathered to watch him, most of the people thinking that he would fall. Yet Charles Blondin gets on that tightrope, and he walks all the way across to this cheering crowd. And the more that he did it, the better that he got at it. In fact, he walked across the Niagara Falls on a rope over the next several years, some 300 times. He walked forward across the rope. He walked backwards across the rope. He even one time carried a little stove with him and cooked an omelet while he was balancing on the rope. And he served a boat 
below them the omelet. It's incredible. He also pushed a wheelbarrow across on that road. Some say that after he pushed the wheelbarrow across on that road, the crowd was cheering wildly, and he pointed out one man, one man, one person who was cheering more enthusiastically perhaps than the rest. And he said, do you believe that I could push a man in this wheelbarrow across on this rope? And they're all cheering, yes, yes, yes. He looked at the guy and said, get in. It's different, is it not? You say, we can say we trust Jesus all day long. We can say we believe in the Bible. We can say we believe these songs that we sing, and they're incredible. The question is not, can you say you believe? The question is this, are you willing to get in? Are you willing to get in and follow Jesus Christ wherever he leads, even when he leads you into a place that's scary, even when he leads you into the unknown, even when he leads you in places where you would not want to even think about going? Can you get in and follow Jesus? Listen, God never promised you that life would be easy. It wasn't easy for David. It wasn't easy for Moses. It wasn't easy for Esther, or for Deborah, or for Ruth, or Naomi, or for Mary, or Peter, or James, or John, or Paul. And it certainly wasn't easy for Jesus Christ to come to this earth and die on a cross for your sin, but he did. He's calling you to follow him, to get in. Not only does God promise to be with you here in verse 2, David said God was giving him great success. When evil men advance against me to devour my flesh, when my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Like David, you too are going to have some enemies. Enemies like bitterness and hate and selfishness and greed and jealousy. Enemies like arrogance and apathy and stubbornness and selfishness and faithlessness. God says it's time for those enemies to go down. And sometimes... You know, we're faced with enemies like cancer, and heart attacks, and Parkinson's, and other diseases, and other challenges in life that may be more physical in nature. And it may appear for a little while like they've won. Let me tell you something. Ultimately, if your faith is in Jesus you will win. Romans chapter 8 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness, nakedness or danger or sword as is written? For thy sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors. Jesus Christ who loved us. That means we win. Romans 8.31 says, if God is for you, it doesn't matter who's against you. That means we win. Romans 8.28 says, we 
servant God is working all things together for the good of those who love him and trust him and follow him. That means we win. 1 John 5, 4 says, faith is the victory that overcomes the world. That means we win. 1 Corinthians 15, 55, and 56, and 57 says, where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Ultimately, you will win. Amen? Death cannot defeat you. Hell cannot defeat you. The grave cannot defeat you. The devil cannot defeat you. This world cannot defeat you. No one can defeat you, not ultimately, when you walk with God. You may face a few setbacks. You may get knocked down. But you will not ultimately be knocked out, not when you follow your God. 2 Corinthians 4, 8, and 9. It says we are hard-pressed on every side. You ever feel like that? But we're not crushed, perplexed. Ever been perplexed? God, what are you doing? This does not make sense to me. My throat went out in the first service. This does not make sense to me. I even went in the bathroom and choked myself to try to throw up to do something. Nothing would work. I went downstairs during the service and drank some hot water with some lemonade, and nothing would work. God, what are you doing here? I was fine when I woke up this morning. I don't feel sick until I gag myself. No, it's okay. But you know what? Sometimes we're like, God, I don't understand this. This doesn't make sense to me. Jeannie said she could fill in for me if I need to tag team her. Okay. She's up there in the sound booth. Help me out. All right. Terry, I know how you feel, brother. But you know what? Sometimes we're perplexed. Sometimes it doesn't make sense, okay? We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. You may get knocked down, but as long as you get back up and follow Jesus, you will not be knocked out. Sometimes life's going to knock you down. You stay in there with Jesus Christ. You follow him. The psalmist continues in verse 3. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. The word besiege here is in camp in the King James. The idea is to surround a city or stronghold with armed forces in order to bring about its surrender or capture. To paraphrase Warren Wiersbe, this is not a sudden invasion. This is a sustained war. In case you haven't noticed, you are in a war. Ephesians 6 says your battle is not against flesh and blood. Your battle is not ultimately against other people. They're not the enemy. Turn to the person sitting next to you and say, you are not the enemy. Some of you married to the person you're sitting next to. It's like, well, I hope not. Sometimes it feels like it. Sometimes the enemy comes upon us suddenly. Sometimes it just sets up camp and refuses to go away. But either way, if your faith is in God, you can win. Verse 3 continues. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then will I be confident. How do you do this? You do this by keeping your eyes on God. Let's go to verse 4. David continues. One thing I ask of the Lord. This is what I seek. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and seek Him in His temple. Did you see David's focus here? Do you see his priority? David doesn't say five things I do. He doesn't say four things I do or three or two or one. What's he say? 
one thing I do. I want to know my God. Paul said it like this in Philippians chapter 3. Starting in verse 10. He says, I want to know him. I want to know Christ. And the power of his resurrection. And I'll also take the fellowship of his sufferings, even being conformed to his death. But I want to know him. And then I'm forgetting those things which are behind me. And I'm reaching forward to those things which are before. He is my priority above every other priority. Now, there's nothing wrong with having other priorities, okay? Husband ought to be a priority. Wife ought to be a priority. Kids ought to be a priority. Job ought to be a priority. Paying the bills ought to be a priority, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Got to live life, okay? It's okay to have stuff. That stuff shouldn't have you. Jesus Christ is our ultimate priority. In case you missed David's heart here in verse 4, skip down to verse 8 and watch as David gives a similar plea. My heart says of you, seek his face. I like it. David's talking to himself. I just noticed that. My heart says of you, seek his face. His face, Lord, I will seek. See, a lot of people want to seek God's hand, but they don't want to seek his face. We live in a give me society we want God's provision, but all too often, we don't want God. We want God for what he could do for us more than we want God just because he's God and he loves us. One reason why God used David so greatly was because David had the right priorities. Do you remember why God chose David to begin with? First Samuel chapter 13 says the Lord chose David because he was a man after God's own heart, right? First Samuel chapter 16, the prophet Samuel comes to Jesse's house, and God said, you're going to find the next king there. And so Jesse parades his seven sons before Samuel. First one came up, he's tall, he's good looking, looks like a king. And Samuel says to himself, that's got to be the guy. God says, that's not the guy. Okay, next person. God says, he's not the guy. Third guy, he's not the guy. Four, five, six, seven. None of those are the guy. And then Samuel says to Jesse, David's dad, have you not got any more sons? And Jesse says, in essence, well, I got one more. He's out there keeping sheep. What's that, Terry? Terry's helped me out there. I got one more out there. I, I didn't really feel like we ought to invite him. I didn't think he'd have a shot. But he did. Samuel says, bring him. And he comes. And God says to Samuel, that's the guy. Anoint him as king. He is a man after my own heart. He's going to lead Israel. Listen, the Bible says that man looks at outward appearance. God looks at the heart. Go to verse 5. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and set me high upon a rock. David says, in essence, all this trouble is going on around me, and I'm just sitting back on this rock, and I'm just watching. I'm just chilling, watching what God's going to do next. Isaiah 26.3 says, God will keep the person in perfect peace whose mind stays fixed 
upon God. Go to verse 6. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his tabernacle will I sacrifice with shouts of joy. Now the Old Testament, they offered animals for sacrifices. We don't do that today. Aren't you glad? For one reason, that would be awfully messy. Would it not? Suppose we did that here at Northside. People are bringing in cows and oxen, bulls, um, sheep, doves, and I'd be like the guy killing them. I wouldn't like that. But I wouldn't want to be Gary especially. He's our facilities manager. He's the one who has to clean it all up. Aren't you glad? 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ came to this earth. Become our sacrifice once and for all for our sin. Amen? But sometimes, God wants us to give him a sacrifice of praise. You know, that's a little easier for somebody like David because David can sing, okay? I remember when I was in college, my older brother and I were roommates the first year. I think my mom sent me to keep an eye on him. And uh, we would visit churches. And before we'd stand up and sing, he'd say, Kevin, don't sing so loud. See, I'm not good, but I can be loud. And I thought about this. I like the King James Version for Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands, right? I may not be good, but I'm going to praise my Savior. How about you? Amen? I may not be the best singer in the world, but I'm going to praise my God because God is not ultimately looking for how great we can sing. God is looking for a heart that is bent toward Him for His glory. It's not the quality of your voice, but the content of your character that ultimately matters most to God. What does God see and hear? When he sees and hears you. Go to verse 8. Hear my voice, David says, when I call the Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. Aren't you glad we serve a merciful God? Think about what if he were not. In Psalm 103, this same David says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in love. He will not always chide. He will keep his anger forever. Like a father loves his children, so the Lord loves us. And we give our sin to him. He removes as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered against us again. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are but dust. Lamentations 3.23 says God's compassions, his mercies never fail. Great is thy faithfulness. Our God is a merciful God, is he not? And to be honest, we are not always so merciful. I'm reminded about a, a lady who was in a courtroom with the judge up in Cincinnati. And she was in there for shoplifting. And the judge said, what did you steal? She said, I took a can of peaches. And the judge said, 
how many peaches were in the can? She said, six. The judge says, that's one day in jail for every peach that you stole. And her husband, who's not very merciful, said, may I say something, Your Honor? What's that? Husband said, she also stole a can of peas. <laughs> Aren't you glad our God's not like that? Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrated his love for you. And that while you were yet a sinner, Jesus Christ came to this earth and he died on the cross for your sin. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. Aren't you glad? John 3, 16, say it with me if you know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Isaiah 53 says, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement for our peace fell upon him. By his stripes we are healed. Oh, we like sheep have gone astray. But the Lord laid upon him, upon Jesus Christ, the iniquity, the sin of us all. Thank God what Jesus Christ did for you. However, just because Jesus Christ died on the cross for you does not mean you'll automatically be forgiven of your sin. You see, just because Jesus died, was buried, rose from the dead, coming back again, does not mean everybody's going to heaven. It's only those who, by God's grace, are willing to turn from their sin and place their faith in Jesus Christ. Have you done that? Have you given your life to Christ? If not, why not? today. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your compassion and your love. I pray that you would move in our lives today. As I think about the words of this invitation song, Lord, I believe you're at work in this world have no doubt about that. I'm praying, Lord, not only will you work in other places in this world, but Lord, you're going to do an incredible work in and through us. I pray that while others, on others you're calling, don't pass us by. God, we need you. We're asking you to do incredible things for your glory, as well as the small things that other people may never even notice. We need you, Jesus. We need you, Lord God. For some of you sitting in those pews or those chairs this morning, maybe you've never really nailed it down. Maybe you don't know for sure whether you know Jesus or not. Today's your day to give your life to Christ. 
For others of you, you've been coming here for a while, you know the Lord, and God's leading you get plugged in. It's not a perfect church. It's a good place to plug in and serve as you want to touch this community and the world. For somebody else, it might be to say, God, I'm scared. I don't know what's going to happen. God's saying, give it to me. Let me walk with you through it. He may not change your circumstances, but he promises to be with you in the middle of it. Whatever God is saying, will you say yes to him? He loves you. Jesus died for you so that you might have life with him forever.